This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. One of my favorite quotes is from the late Toni Morrison. Sometimes you don't survive whole. You just survive in part. But the grandeur of life is that attempt. It's not about that solution. It is about being as fearless as one can, behaving as beautifully as one can, under completely impossible circumstances. It's that that makes it elegant. I think about this wisdom often, particularly as we continue to do our best to show up in the world, for ourselves and for others. For those of us inclined to share ourselves through the creative process, we can also be navigating imposter syndrome, structural barriers, and limiting beliefs about ourselves. The reminder that our attempt is the grandest part of it all feels like a reminder worth shouting repeatedly. My guest today, Dion Edwards, is a wonderful example of Morrisonian attempt in action. She's a screenwriter and director whose debut feature film, Pretty Red Dress, debuts this month at BFI London Film Festival. Pretty Red Dress investigates black masculinity and family structures through the story of Travis, a formerly incarcerated black man who is hiding the fact that he loves to wear women's clothes. In telling her character's story, Dion says she drew on her own feelings of shame to help enliven and inform her approach to Travis. And honesty, she says, is essential in our attempts to create work that is meaningful and impactful. Today, we explore why it's important for us to embrace the grandiose, the beauty and weirdness of distortion in the creative process, and telling the stories of flawed people with care. We discuss the impossibility and undesirability of perfection, and in a plot twist of shock and delight, she tells me why she thinks utopia is a wonderful ambition, as long as we never get there. I'm Josh Rivers, and I'm Busy Being Black with Dion Edwards. Dion, thank you so much for being here and accepting my invitation to come on Busy Being Black. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. Um, I like to open my conversations uh, with the same question for all my guests. How's your heart? How is my heart? Um, I'd say at the moment my heart is open, uh, very open. You know, like everyone else, it's just been a crazy two years and... 
Um, I, I mean, we were talking before about star signs. I'm a Taurus and we're very fixed and of the earth. And, you know, we think, you know, things go from A to B very easily. And yeah, I've had to learn that it, it hasn't. Um, so yeah, it's this, this, the past few years have been about lots of lessons and stuff. And I think at the moment, yeah, my heart is sort of open, accepting things. Definitely, you know, not perfect, but it's like, yeah, it's receiving at the moment. And what's so, yeah. perfect anyway, right? Exactly. Like it's this kind of weird imposition. Yeah, yeah. Um, this word for openness as a way to describe how our heart is, is one that really resonates with me. Mm-hmm. And I think of a conversation I had with Lazarus Lynch, mm-hmm. who actually um, performs and created the Busy Bean Black theme music. Mm-hmm. And his urging is that we have to keep, not just keep our hearts open, but actually keep breaking them open. Definitely. And keep allowing them to be broken open. Exactly. Yeah, breaking is like the important thing. Um, and I don't know if you, you feel like ego is tied to the heart as well but I kind of think that with ego as well and kind of death of the ego and I think somehow that like mirrors the heart in certain ways um can you say more on that I don't know what I mean there I think it's just when you said breaking open I thought it was really interesting because yeah I've been thinking a lot about ego and the way you know I was just saying that like, I had ideas about the way things are supposed to run and the mm. way things are supposed to work and I think some as- aspect of that is ego as well does that make right. sense? Yeah, it does make sense. Yeah. So there's like a humbling. Yes. That takes humbling place. is, yeah, exactly it. Yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. trying to stay humble. Yeah. Like to myself, I have all these grandiose ideas and it's yeah. like, this is, it's this weird confluence of like the dreams I see in my head and absolutely believing that I can achieve them. Mm-hmm. Like I had this vision for busy being black where we're suspended over a jungle, like me and my guest. I don't know. I have no idea how that's going to happen. That will happen. I know. I was like, and my friend was like, how do you suspend two people on a transparent platform over the jungle? I said, I don't know, but someone knows. <laughs> someone knows how to do that. So there's the kind of, the, the grandiosity of these ideas and these dreams. Exactly, yeah. And the belief that I can absolutely make them happen. Mm-hmm. And then this need to remind myself that I've got to be humble about in my drive towards achieving that, right? Mm-hmm. Like I've got to rem- remind myself that I am one person mm-hmm. trying to do a big thing one mm-hmm. step at a time. And I, 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 I'm experiencing lots of humbling moments recently mm-hmm. where people are like, you need to be easy, bro. Yeah. And I'm taking that advice. Definitely, yeah. Well, firstly, please, when you do make it to the jungle, I want to be invited again to come <laughs> on. Um, but yeah, like being humbled is, yeah, I think I think it's just really important for everyone to be humbled. And I certainly have been as well. And same as you, sort of thinking very grandiose, which I think is really important, especially as black people. I think we need to aim high and we do sort of aim too high sometimes. Always like aim, aim, aim. But I think that those lessons that you get from being broken open as you're saying I think are the most important and they're the things that like get you to you know go even higher and is there something either in your background or in your personality that you think mm-hmm. has nurtured that that ability to think big to dream big to kind of embrace the grandiose mm. uh yeah I mean I I th- it was definitely from childhood I think I I grew up in foster care oh. um from like the age of zero to seven I was like in so many different homes I think it was like roughly around 10 or so um and then from seven was a lot more settled up to the age of 18 and stayed with one family but I think those like years from like what zero to seven um you know I had to kind of learn a little bit to be independent and you know like to to my detriment sometimes you know I find Mm -hmm. that in adulthood but it certainly like set me on this thing to I'm, I'm I'm probably in a way that you know I've had to kind of 
put a lot of work into making sure it isn't overtaking me. But I've always wanted to aim really high and make sure that I can look after myself first. And I think that, yeah, um, it's, it's made me kind of feel very individual, very on my own sometimes, but I've had to spend a lot of work kind of, you know, making sure I'm about community as well, you know? And I think that's where my drive comes from to like aim really high. And so do you think the way you express yourself through your art is your attempt at merging this, this kind of grandiosity and this connection to community and remembering mm. that you're not alone? I think so, yeah. I mean, it's always hard to to kind of break down what I'm trying to say in my art, but I think looking back at it now, you know, I've got my feature film, Pretty Red Dress, which is, is premiering this year. And I, I've, you know, at the time when you're kind of forming it, I, I find it best not to think about it too much, about what these ideas and what these themes are. But I think looking at it now, um, I'd say that there's this sort of look at being an individual and being part of community, feeling the need to be part of the tribe and also feeling like you just don't don't fit into that at all. I think everyone grapples with that. And I think that's one of the central questions in a way of my life, you know, in, in relation to what I'm saying. It's like, how do we how do we express ourselves as individuals? But how do we also, you know, work to to fit in as well? Yeah. You know? Yeah, because there's, there's almost, the individual and community is almost oppositional in our cultures and societies, mm -hmm. right? Sorry, mm -hmm. in Western cultures and societies. Oh, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. You're either supposed to be kind of a fiercely independent person who can sometimes dip into community, mm -hmm. or you're in community and you are just one among many, mm -hmm. right? And that individuality can become stripped. And I, I feel that because I want to stand out, but not so much that like, other people aren't also seen, right? Mm. That people know I'm not the only one doing a podcast or, or whatever, or trying to make this attempt at connection. Um, so how do we make sure that all of us shine really brightly together mm -hmm. <laughs> and mm -hmm. no one is, it's, it's, it kind of tackles that capitalistic drive to exalt one yes. over all others. I really hate that. Yeah, exactly. That's interesting. How have you found that with podcasting then? Like, do you feel? This yeah. goes to the ego thing. Someone asked, told me about it because I do. I want so there's new artwork coming out for the podcast. So by the time this mm -hmm. conversation comes out, you all have seen the new artwork. Mm -hmm. And I was my ego was brimming. I was like, I'm gonna have the best podcast artwork in the motherfucking game. Like it's gonna <laughs> always be me. I'm gonna stay on there next. And my friend was like, That's so ego. And I was like, Yeah, but it's also that I want I want the listeners of Busy Me and Black to look at the podcast artwork, to listen to the show, and go this guy cares. Mm. Like he wants us to feel a certain way. It's so it's important. like less about me and more about me utilizing myself mm -hmm. um, to be useful to other people. Mm. So I want them to feel inspired, enchanted, enlivened. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. this is for them. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. And it's many things like, you know, I've been thinking about this as well. Like it's not just the podcast, right? Like you're saying it is the artwork. And for me with the film, it, it's, it's the artwork for you. It's the, the politics. It's all the, the philosophy behind it as mm. well. And it's 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 kind of mind-boggling sometimes, you know, having to grapple with all these different things at once. And I don't know if this is a silly question, but how do you, like, metabolize the different parts of yourself and interests in a single medium? Can you? Ooh. That's an amazing question. How oh, do you yeah. metabolize? <laughs> I love that word. Um, I think firstly in not thinking about it too much yeah. that's like the key thing um 
it's really interesting because the question often comes up, like uh, a few people said, oh, your films, your work is so political, for example. Like, how do you, you know, what are your thoughts when you're kind of thinking about that um, and putting that into your art? But I guess I don't really think about it too much. Um, and so the key thing for me is to to have an approach that's like about feeling um, first, coming at it from from emotions and with Pretty Red Dress, for example, it's about a black man who's he's a he's a straight black man. He's been hiding the fact that he likes to wear women's clothes and hiding that from his family. And he's, you know, he's been involved in gangs and, you know, he comes from a tough background. And so there's this deep shame and that causes him to kind of make a lot of sometimes very bad decisions that he makes. And I think the way I got into that was through this idea of shame and, and the feeling of shame and like tapped into my own feelings about shame and emotions around it. And so I don't know if that makes sense, but it sort of, it starts with feeling for me and that's, that's how I do it. And then everything else is, you know, like I just said, I, I, create the work and then I look at it and go ah that's interesting this is like political here <laughs> well, and, this know, what it's about. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you you approach things like that as well it's like or do you do you sort of go in sort of intellectually first I mean there's a million different ways you can do it but um yeah, yeah I tend to like start with feeling and then I guess everything else comes out through that I follow what lights me up so that's mm-hmm. a big lesson I've learned over the course of my life like when I have very um physical reactions to emotional or spiritual stimuli so you'll say something i'll get goosebumps and i'll know pay attention to that mm. or i'll read something and i'll get goosebumps i'm getting them now <laughs> pay attention sure to you're just not cold this. yeah like, <laughs> <laughs> me who lives in vests <laughs> um yeah. yeah and so for busy in particular it's it begins as a spark each conversation begins as a spark mm. or a suggestion or someone says look at this or have you read this or have you seen this and they'll let me go in a little down my little rabbit hole and i'll come back and i'll go dion yes it's amazing mm-hmm. <laughs> you know so that. i think it's a bit of both yeah love like, that. and do you th- do you find that film lights you up as well like that makes sense to you as a way to express yourself if that makes sense Definitely. Yeah. I, especially as a kid, I think that was, it was really important to me kind of understanding the world through that particular medium. And I'm, I'm definitely very introverted and, um, you know, people do think I'm extrovert, but I'm not at all. And I find that that's the best way I can get the things I want to say out, but I just, yeah, it's, it always takes me to make the thing first and then understand it after um, but yeah, films light me up, but more than films, like I think other things at the moment are lighting me up, you know, and exciting me. And then I guess I, I, I find ways to put it back in. Like I actually, at the moment, I actually find sitting still and like watching a show quite hard because I'm, I'm just sort of into moving around a lot or like listening to music or, you know, finding interest in other people's mediums. So I mm. think things outside of that medium, like excite me as well. Yeah. I think we data gather as creatives, and I think even more broadly as people, but maybe creatives have a distillation process, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm always reading something or watching something or listening to something or having a conversation, and I have all these data points in my head, mm. and at any point I just pull them down when I need them. It's an amazing skill, I think, or mm. knack. <laughs> and I can remember the 1993 Charlie Rose and Toni Morrison interview, you know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah. I just pull it down. Um, and so I imagine it's like that with, with film as well. Definitely. I'm actually really curious, though, like, what's the first film you remember being enchanted by? Do you know what? Jurassic Park. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's not a cool answer at all. Yeah, Jack, Jurassic Park. Cool. I actually like was obsessed with that film, and I think it was just. I don't know if you remember it. Like, yeah, do you remember that kitchen scene where the kids are in there and there's a? I'm not even going to attempt the dinosaur name, but it's like there one of them like has to go in the cupboard and there's this like one moment where they're waiting to kind of see if it's going to attack them and it was just awful and i think that's what i love about film that you can be like extremely scared and kind of dive into things like um feelings that you never want to feel in real life right you never want to feel something deadly chasing you but there's something about like that vicarious thing that i think is really interesting so yeah that one and probably toy story as well oh <laughs> Yes. <laughs> what, what about yours? The first film I was enchanted by, yeah. probably Little Mermaid or Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. I was a big Disney kid. Yeah. Yeah. No. I really loved um, The Little Mermaid. I couldn't mm. stop watching it. Love so I'm also well. very excited for Halle Bailey to do Ariel. But yeah. I used to sing like all the songs like perched on the side of the couch, like pretending like, <laughs> I was a mermaid. <laughs> oh, I love yeah. that. I'm very easily enchanted, though, I find, mm -hmm. if I let myself be. Mm -hmm. What about you? Enchanted, though, is, is so, I love that word. And I think, I don't think I'm easily enchanted. Mm. Like, it takes me a while. But when I am, like, I, I think, and I love, like, when things enchant me. Like, it's, it's an amazing feeling. But, yeah, it takes, I think I'm a bit too... Especially with film, I watch so many now. Like it, it takes a lot for me to go. Oh, that's amazing! You know, yeah. I had that feeling when I watched Moonlight like a few years back. I was sat in the cinema, um, a little bit hungover, and uh, I'd lost my phone the night before, and I was just, you know, I went into the BFI at ten a.m. and watched it, and my mind was absolutely blown, and my heart, like my heart, like, was open, and everything from like the music to the performances, everything just like you know, and what they're saying with the film, like deeply, you know, struck me. I was really moved by the silence in Moonlight. The silence, yeah. You know, the things that weren't said. Yes. Because like it's taken me a long time in my life to understand that. And it's something I've become, I think, obsessed with. Like I've talked about it a lot on the show because I think we underestimate the power of silence mm. and that silences can be pregnant, right? Mm. They can be tense. They, there's so much that we can communicate with silence. Definitely. And I, I found that frustrating watching moonlight i wanted i wanted him to say something say how you feel yeah, like just yeah. do the thing say the thing yeah. and and he doesn't right and you i love you you i left with that tension inside me that not mm -hmm. all the things he didn't say and mm -hmm. that's what stood out for me yeah you know i loved oh, that's that beautiful yeah silence is really interesting i mean do you do you meditate at all i don't no my meditation is reading Okay. Like it gets me into my body, like helps me zone out. And I know if I can't get into something, that mm -hmm. I, I, there's something going on and I have to stop. Wow. Yeah. Meditation. That's really interesting. No, I was just thinking of meditation as well because I, you know, I find it really hard to sit still, you know, as I was saying. Um, and there's something about just sitting there for like 20 minutes or so and having to be in silence. And then I don't know about sort of 10, 12 minutes in, you start to go into this very strange realm where. It's like the silence is almost like singing to you in a way. Um, so you should try it out. I want to. It's, it's hard. It's hard to do like, you know, every single day, but it's a good one. I, this is going to be so stupid, but I, <laughs> I downloaded the Headspace app and <laughs> I was, because I thought I can start with five minutes a day. And the guy was, the guy the was. The nasally voice, right? The guy was talking and I was like, I could do this so much better than him. <laughs> Yeah. I, and so I couldn't, I couldn't listen. A lot of, uh, no shade to him, but like a lot of people complained about his voice. I think right. the voice is really important. And now apparently there's another voice on there that you can choose from. Okay. But uh, 
yeah, I don't I don't listen to the the apps there because I I find it too like annoying and distracting. Yeah, and so your meditation practice is what? Um, it's like a mixture of things. Sometimes I will do a guided one, but at the moment it's TM, do you know, transcendental meditation. Oh yeah. It's interesting actually, cause a lot of directors do it. Cause I think it's just such a stressful job directing. And, uh, I find a lot of actors do it as well. Like David Lynch and, uh, Martin Scorsese and all those people like, and it's just, it's chanting a mantra in your head. You get given a mantra, um, by like a mentor and then you have to chant that and you can use it for the rest of your life. And the mantra is specific to you. Specific to you. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's really interesting. You have this like little ceremony and then then you go into it. But yeah, I also use like breathing ones as well. I'm still I'm still quite rubbish at meditating. Like half the time I'm just thinking Think of my own thoughts things. and like everything yeah. like that. But yeah, there's something you said about silence. That I thought you'd love meditation. I saw this TikTok yeah. yesterday and this um, woman was saying that um, our spiritual pursuits can actually become addictive. Like we keep chasing this higher version of ourself, this um, this higher realization of self, and we're we're taking in all this spiritual knowledge, and it's making sense, but we have a hard time like turning it into action, mm. and so we keep chasing the little spiritual nuggets. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh my god, that's what I do with reading. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. So that's I think there's the, a connection there. That's that's so interesting that you get meditation from reading, though, mm. because. I guess, yeah, you're taking in, like, other information, other data. Like, how do you find, is, is it, because you were saying it kind of keeps the, the voice in your head going. You've got this, like, interior life. Yeah, how, it helps me focus. So I think I have right. undiagnosed ADHD. Me too. I think me many too. of us do. Yeah, yeah. And so I, the best way to get me to focus is get put something for me to read. And I can tune out the world and just focus. And it's like that. Mm. So if I can't do that, I mean, something's not right in mm. my head and I've got to figure out what that is so I can get back to that. But also I find I read like five or six things at the same time. I just got books everywhere and I'll go, what was that thing I was reading the other day about? And I'll just grab that book and mm. I'll, I'll begin again. And then I'll pick up another one and I'll read that and then I'll make the connection between the two and I'll be so excited. And I'm like, oh my God, that's amazing. Wow. And so for that hour, two hours that I'm kind of parceling through these different books and grabbing little nuggets of, of knowledge, mm. I'm, there's nothing else going on. Mm. So I, I consider it a type of meditation and right. I come out of it feeling, oh, I'm smart. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, I love that. It makes me feel good. Yeah, that's interesting. It takes me so long to read books. Like I do read, but I'm like, it just takes me like a month to read one book. So mm. yeah, it's a very slow, frustrating process. I do a lot more audio books. I read somewhere that a lot of your, many of your um, like filmic influences are from US films. Mm. And so I'm very curious because there's there's this ongoing conversation about like a monolithic blackness, right? And we see mm. the diaspora wars on social media and mm-hmm. and this kind of, mm-hmm. these, this silly almost infighting, but it's not infighting, it's like intercommunal, mm-hmm. right? I'm very curious about taking these inspirations from different places mm-hmm. across the diaspora mm-hmm. and making them into something that speaks to you, for you, and the people you seek to impact. Interesting. Um... So what's the question? So is it, how do I, how am I inspired by? I'll give you an example. So if I'm reading something about queer liberation in the Mm seventies, I'll go, okay, well that won't make sense because of, to black queer people in the UK because of X, Y, and Z. And then I might go find something that supports that. Mm -hmm. And then I'll like, okay, that makes sense. And I'll form a complete idea. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was reading about your influences and I was like, and the thing that popped in my head was, 
Ah, uh, yeah, actually, because the U.S. and the U.K. are always kind of like swapping ideas, and they don't yeah. always work. Yeah. And so how do you make those I think, yeah, I think vast experiences mean. come together in a way that makes sense for you and your experience? Well, it's, it's interesting because I think that until sort of recently, and I still think this is the thing, like U.S. culture is like dominant culture, I think, around the world, right? Mm-hmm. We'll go to like Egypt and they'll be talking about like, I don't Friends. know, um, yeah, like <laughs> Black Panther yeah. or whatever. Um, and so growing up, um, you know, I didn't really, I didn't really come from like a super intellectual background, but like whatever was on like Sky Movies was like what the family were watching, what my foster parents were like kind of showing me. And so that's why like things like Jurassic Park or like kind of real pop cultural things, um, that those are the first things that really inspired me and they were all from the US, like big US films. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find that that's still the case with say a lot of black popular culture as well, right? It's still coming, very much coming from the US. With, you know, obviously the UK is getting its stamp on things and now people kind of branching out around the world. But I, I think there's something, you know, that's, if you think about something like jazz, for example, but I think the UK has a way of then taking those things and kind of like distorting them and bringing them back. And I think that does sometimes happen with like UK kind of grabbing U.S. things. I don't know if this is making sense. It is because I think that the U.K. does a better job at translating American ideas into mm. British ones, mm. and Americans aren't very good at translating British ones to American ones. <laughs> yeah, so interesting. Yeah, because like, take something like Have you seen Michaela Cole's "I May Destroy You"? Yeah, well, I had to start like, watching it, but yeah, it's every time <laughs> I go to the states, like that's that's when I go to like meetings in the U.S. They're like, "I may destroy you." Like, oh my god, like I love that and. I, I always think what well, that's really interesting there. And it's interesting because my short film, We Love Moses, um, that did really well in the States. And um, I just find that really interesting. Like it got into like a lot of film festivals over there, you know, HBO then kind of uh, took it on and it's now on Disney Plus over there as well. And I don't know, there's, I think it's just in this in simple form, like I just, that because it was there, because of the dominant culture, I kind of took it. And I think sometimes no matter what, when you take something that you're inspired by, that's why it's good for artists to just kind of almost try and copy what they like in a way, because it will never come out in that way. It will always come out in your own interesting way. And so I think that that's what's happened. I've just been really inspired by a lot of American cinema, um, a lot of black American cinema as well, a lot of Spike Lee. And, you know, you'll see it in, in my feature film. Like I tried to, you know, do my own versions of that and it just comes out completely different and distorted. But I think really interesting. My conversation with screenwriter and director Dion Edwards continues in just a moment. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Sax.com. I'm Josh Rivers. Welcome back to Busy Being Black. I'm in conversation with Dion Edwards, a screenwriter and director whose TV credits include Netflix's upcoming series, The Fuck It Bucket, That Girl for Channel 4's On the Edge, the acclaimed drama Top Boy, and the Netflix series Half Bad. She was on the BFI Flair LGBT Filmmakers Mentorship Program in 2016 and 2017. And in 2019, she was named a Screen International Star of Tomorrow. 
I love this word distorted. Yeah. <laughs> I just love it because mm. I was having a conversation yesterday with someone and they had Nakane mm. and they had said that um, the question they posed and, and thinking about how their album and their songwriting was coming together was how do we pervert what's already so well known? That's a great way as well. <laughs> pervert, right? And so then I, w- I was asking them about how we pervert the world, right? How do mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. embrace a perversion? Mm-hmm. And so I love this idea of distortion being along mm-hmm. in the same camp as exactly. a perversion of something, right? Because yeah. perversion I love more because it has a bit more of a negative connotation and there's a reclamation at hand there. Mm-hmm. But uh, distortion is an amazing word yeah. as well. And you can apply it to queerness in a way. And I think in, in, in some ways, I think I think we should never, if you if you think about that or think about it from an artistic point of view, I think sometimes there's fear of, you know, trying to, of being inspired by something else or say copying something else. But I think that if you kind of unashamedly like take something that inspires you and just apply it to your own experience just as truthfully as you can, it will come out really weird. Um, <laughs> I love that weird. Uh, yeah, not to say that you know, obviously, queerness is weird, but it is in a way, you know. Yeah. And I think that's the beauty of it. And I think that's a really beautiful way to look at it because I think there's something here about an example being set, and people, particularly especially queer black people, who might feel like we have something to prove, mm. not being able to meet that example. Mm-hmm. And so, what you're offering here is um, you're not doing it to meet that example; you're doing mm. it to create your own thing. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I think a lot can be taken from that. Mm-hmm. There's this idea of queer utopia that I want to explore mm-hmm. with you. And it just popped into my head. So I don't know. I don't necessarily have a question, but I'm going to attempt it. I'm reading a lot about what a utopia means, mm-hmm. right? We're in a time of such duress, right? So many people are still fighting for their lives and we're not necessarily sure where we're going. Mm-hmm. And so there's a kind of a thread in queer of color scholarship that is telling us that's okay like there there doesn't need to be an end point Mm -hmm. or a finish line or a defined future because actually if we define the future Mm -hmm. it's gonna get fucked up and so Mm -hmm. i love this idea of maybe films being an attempt at a utopia or Mm -hmm. a future we can't see and i wonder if that's something that resonates with you Attempt at a utopia. Yeah, so utopia is, is kind of the absolute spiritual, emotional, intellectual, physical best, right? That's, That's like right. the Social highest you can possibly aim, right? Yeah. I don't know. I have a feeling that would be the worst thing for human beings ever. In oh, a way. Similar, similar. <laughs> I know that sounds really strange, but obviously there's at the other end, obviously dystopia and like kind of that, you know, that's what we don't want as well. I think like trying, I think you'd have nowhere else to go if you, if you reach that far. Um, so I don't know. I can't remember the beginning of the question. Like, do I, is that, do I like, think do you see film, film as an attempt at utopia? Um, I think, actually, I think this is interesting. I think attempting utopia is really good. And I think that if, if you mean the content, um, not necessarily, not and especially in what I'm doing, but in attempting to make a piece of work that is perfection, I think that's a good thing um, because it will never be, you know? And I think like if we did, it, I, it's it's strange because per- perfection is something that you want to aim for, utopia, but if you, if you get there, I think there's something seriously wrong with it as well. I don't yeah. know if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes total sense. 
So yeah, I'd say like, I definitely don't aim for that um, in, in terms of the content, in terms of what the story is. Is it like this idea of a perfect world? I'm actually really interested in um, kind of flawed characters. That's mm. where, you know, I tend to put a lot of my interest in there because I am and because a lot of the people I know, you know, most people are. Um, but I think that the interesting thing is like people every single day are trying their best in a way, even if they're doing it in really in the worst ways possible, they, they think what they're doing is right oftentimes. Um, and so there is this like attempt at utopia and I like, I like kind of putting to get it together as an attempt at utopia, but I think getting to utopia, I think, or trying to have characters that are perfect, mm -hmm. if I'm understanding you correctly is, um, yeah, it's probably not the best thing. I don't know yeah. if it would make for good drama either. No, it probably. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> no, I, I I find that sometimes like I've 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 sat in you know I've gone to watch films. I can't really think of any examples at the moment, but I've been to the Q and A discussions after, and sometimes people in the audience say, you know, I wish you know say for example this black character, this female character would have you know she would have been you know why can't we see more people who are perfect or who are better. Um, and I often find that a little bit strange. I don't know about you, like how you... Well, I, I wanted to ask you what you've learned about... How have you learned to tell flawed people's stories with care? Okay, so with care is really important. I think that's the key thing. Um, I think with care is being as truthful as I possibly can. I think it's, you know, kind of understanding things, trying to be learn about things as a critical thinker, firstly. Mm. But like, I think there is care in being unafraid to show both sides right um and to show dimensions to people i think that it would be for example this character in my feature film he is extremely f flawed you know you're going to see that he's acting in ways that uh, you're going to really disagree with when you watch the film <laughs> um but also you, you get to see the layers there and i think people are really multi-dimensional and i try to to come at characters like that um Sometimes it's fun to just watch a character who's completely bad, you know. Totally. I can't think of any examples at the moment. Like Cruella Deville kind of, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, characters are really fun, fun and sometimes real, like, you know, let's think Black Panther, for example. He's pretty almost perfection, would you say? Like, True. there's something about that that's interesting as well. But I think with care is really important, but I think also being unafraid to show those, the, the darker sides as well mm. is really important. Because that question about, why can't a character be more like this is one of respectability politics. There absolutely. But I think it's also people looking to representation as a form of healing, mm. right? That, and again, to this utopia question, mm -hmm. like to be able to see uh, black excellence on screen, mm. right? The, the black person who rises above the insults, who chooses nonviolence, who excels to the top of the career ladder. It's a fantasy. Like, it's a utopic fantasy mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that I think people can escape into. Mm -hmm. And so I think that question is really informed by what people are looking for mm -hmm, when, mm -hmm. they, when they go to see a piece of art. Mm -hmm. I need to be carved out. I need to be like gutted, carved out, crying. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be upset. I want to be angry. I want to feel something. Yeah, yeah. And I think that the flaws make that possible. I'm I always rooting for the villain yeah. for the most part. Exactly. Oftentimes, like the villain's got something uh, that people can relate to the most yeah. in them. I think. Yeah, I think it's understanding that we're we're not perfection, that we, you know, we're never going to get to perfection. But I think like aiming for that is is definitely like a good thing to do. And on that journey to perfection, you'll see like there are so many flaws, you know, mm. 
Um, and that in your storytelling with care, there's a reminder as well to treat ourselves with care, mm-hmm. right? That us showing up as full human beings mm-hmm. is tremendously difficult. Mm. And so exactly. finding people who will allow us to show up as mm-hmm. we are mm-hmm. is hugely important. Mm-hmm. I keep talking about this Toni Morrison quote because I just can't get over it. Like, I think about it multiple times a day. Uh, sometimes you don't survive whole, you only survive in part. But the grandeur of life is in the attempt. I love that. Right? That's, yeah. That's it's just a perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to keep talking about yeah. it because I need everyone to hear I'll have it. to post that later. <laughs> yeah, I do. I post it like every two weeks. Just yeah. a reminder that yeah. <laughs> the grandeur is in the attempt. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I need to hear that a lot. Yeah, it's really, yeah, it's really interesting. Like, how do you, do you sort of, when you watch something, you know, I think that's really interesting what you're saying, like, because of, you know, where we're at in life and because of, you know, being black queer people, like having to deal with the every single day is, yeah, the the exhaustion that comes from that. Like, how do you find, when you go to see something, you were saying that you want to, you want to see someone kind of be perfect in a way. Is that something that you... I don't look for perfection. I look for flaws and enchantment and... A bit of terror. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to be scared. It's a bad people. I like <laughs> bad people. I do. I like villains. Because I feel like the villains, there's always a great story with the villain. Yeah. And you always understand. And I think particularly as we become more politically aware, yeah. it's so hard not to root people for People are so you're drawn to villains. <laughs> That's, that is what is, I mean, there's, um, my girlfriend got me watching, uh, what's it called? Selling Sunset. Oh, um, have you seen it? it? Oh no. gosh, okay. I forget her name now and she's going to be laughing at me if I've, as I'm attempting this. But like, yeah, there's just this one um, woman in the team who just is unashamedly like bad and just horrific to everyone. Uh, I forget her name. But yeah, I she's so popular like, and people love her and they yeah. keep bringing her back on the show because of that. And I'm like, that's so interesting. Like, yeah, yeah well, because there's, there's, a, there's a villain in all of us. I think, yeah. right? There's a version within, and this is me being super presumptuous. Let me just speak for myself. There is a villain in me, mm-hmm. right? There is a version of Josh mm. that refuses the, sta- the double standards, mm. that refuses the co-option of my culture, that refuses non-consensual touching, that, mm-hmm. that refuses, mm-hmm. and doesn't do it with grace, mm-hmm. does it with violence instead. And my, I, I try, I have to keep that part of me you know, mm-hmm. I have to always talk to him, be like, I got this, right? Mm-hmm. We can do this with grace. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and so I think, I I imagine other people are like that too. Yeah. Isn't it like the Jungian thing of the shadow self as well? Like that <laughs> yeah. thing, that's that's what it yeah. is. I think there's a lot of that in our psychology. And I think there's so, there are, you know, we're all trying to like kind of do and say the right things. But um, I think sometimes you can get more neurotic and kind of have deeper problems when you don't face that like, darkness inside, right. you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think that's why if you have an outlet, like an art form or something, it makes it a little bit easier because you can express it in that way. But I think a lot of people are really grappling with the fact that they can't sort of understand or fully express, you know, the other side to their, their being, which I think all humans have to deal with, like you oh, know, aggression yeah. and all of that stuff. So, And particularly in a world of double standards where, Black aggression in particular is the worst type of aggression. Right. There is no violence like black violence, allegedly. And so part of the, again, we're looking to films to escape these mm-hmm, double mm-hmm, standards, mm-hmm. right? And so maybe that's what I, as I talk about it, maybe that's what I mean about utopia, is that 
you know, we know that utopia is an impossibility. And mm. to your point would be boring. Right? Mm. <laughs> like There wouldn't be much drama or excitement. It's perfection, which is mm. not fun. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder if utopia can actually also be the place or the attempt to get to the place that allows us to express ourselves mm. at our fullest. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's what I'm thinking about with film. And I haven't yeah. articulated that. The attempt, I think, is the key thing. And I think that's the most beautiful thing. I think when we kind of allow ourselves to kind of try and rise to that and try and move towards that and to understand that in the moving towards it, there's going to be perhaps a lot of failure or a lot of, you know, things that we don't, figuring out, like we did things we don't like about ourselves, about each other. But if there's like listening and if there's like constant um, treading towards that, I think that's that's the thing that's uh, the utopia in a way. Do you ever censor yourself in your creative process? Like, are you ever like, oh, I can't say that? (laughs) I think I allow myself to go there with myself. And then I have to, I think part of the care is like then stepping back and thinking about it. But I think at first, I think it's all got to come out the way it should. And I say, I'd probably say like 95% of it does come out the way that it should. Um, if, If it comes out in a certain way that perhaps is, you know, I, I, I kind of think to myself, okay, what are we saying here? And then you, you can just shape it. I think, I, I think like characters will always, if you, if you allow yourself when you're writing a character, I think they'll always like tell you the truth. And sometimes the truth isn't always like nice, but um, I do allow myself to like write it out as, I, as, as it should be and then sort of shape it a little bit, if that makes sense. It makes, I have a doc, like I use the notes app religiously on my phone. Yeah. <laughs> And I have a special like note with like witty comebacks for sassy characters. <laughs> <laughs> so if you ever need a, okay. kind of a biting phrase. <laughs> I might have to borrow some. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And I think that's me. It's like, oh, yeah. I would never say that. Yeah. But someone else could say it. Yeah. And so I write it down. Exactly. Yeah. But there's the outlet. But I think that in the everyday, I think we have to censor ourselves a little bit, you know what I mean? Mm. In, com- in conversations and, you know, more and more. I don't know what you think about that as well as a, as a, you know, when you're podcasting, when you're interviewing, when you're talking about something in response, there has to be a little bit of censoring there. Cause yeah, part of the, the part of busy in. is me getting my voice back. Mm. And so I've, ch- guests have come to me and I've gone to guests and we've gone to places together that have felt vulnerable and a little risky Mm, mm. but have ultimately been so healing the conversation Mm. that stands out to me actually when i say that is queer black and kinky with sandy Mm pianum and we were talking about sex and eroticism and gangbangs and cum and you know i was like in the moment i was like can we talk about this on my podcast (laughs) yeah it's actually it's my podcast we can do what we want and so i just found that really a really thrilling experience and it was a demonstration to myself that I trust myself enough to have conversations that can be challenging and maybe a, mm. other people might censor, mm-hmm. but it's, it's pushing back against this, against this idea that we are one dimensional. Mm. We're not. Exactly. And we don't need to be one dimensional. Mm. Definitely. Yeah. Wow. I censor myself in my interpersonal relationships a lot. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And a lot of things I don't say, but that's mostly just to keep the peace. Yeah, because I bite. Well, it's like I think there's like a, <laughs> there's a part of like I think a part of, sorry a part of it is you know I think in the, in everyday interactions with human beings I think that 
that is part of being a human being, right? You have to kind of, there is like a game being played, mm -hmm. you know, in conversation and in, in where you have to, you know. Um, yeah. We're almost out of time. And I've loved this conversation. Oh, I love too. that you've just it's kind of great. gone strolling through this I love it. <laughs> garden with me. Um, what would you say to a young person who is trying to figure out what they want to say in the world? And they want, they need a place to start. Mm. I think start with everything and allow yourself to start with everything. Like, for example, if you're interested in, um, in film or say in music or I don't know, whatever art film, let's talk about film, for example. Um, I think m one of the things like I wish I would have done when I was at university was like not study film, which I did. I wish I would have just gone into something completely different. I think you just have to go into everything and go into the things that really interest you and also things that don't interest you and try it all, try it all on. And don't, don't try and, um, don't try and fix yourself into one thing. I think, especially if you're young, it's all about like taking in and eating as much as you can and then just seeing what tastes good and what you like. And then I, th I think you'll find that the more you, you take in, um, the more interesting it will be when you start to kind of vomit it out on paper or whatever. I don't know if that's making sense. It does. <laughs> um, explore everything and try to, you know, like I'm just saying, like be unafraid of, of what comes out and, you know, try not to censor yourself as you're putting it down on paper or typing it up or whatever. Um, because I think if you do that, then I think the, the care will come naturally because you would have, you know, hopefully explored that territory. And, you know, you'll, you'll find that when you're vomiting these things out, you'll be able to shape it and understand it sort of intellectually as well as emotionally. How do you want people to feel after they engage with your work? Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, It's, it's funny because like my film is a pretty low budget uh, film, but the attempt was to make a blockbuster. Um, I really wanted an audience to kind of really go on an emotional journey. So my aim is like to to make people uh, or to try and get people to really to try and still their hearts with the character, you know, and to see, you know, we're talking about flawed characters to try and um, really love this character so that when they are making these mistakes or they, you know, showing sides of themselves, which aren't perfect, that the audience will go with it and really understand and relate. But also I just want to make a banging film you know, <laughs> and have an audience like really enjoy it and go on a ride and like, you know, feel all the things you're supposed to feel when I, I think you watch a film, feel scared, feel joyous, feel excited, you know, dance, laugh, sing, cry. Um, I don't know if that sounds a bit <laughs> big headed or whatever, but I just, yeah, I just want them to have an amazing time. That's the first like priority for me. Um, but in, in getting to that, I think you've got to try and be as truthful as you possibly can with mm. the character. Um, and so that kind of relates to what I was saying as well with advice for your younger people is just try and be as truthful as you can. Mm. And to close, I like to ask my guests the same question. What do you hope for? Oh gosh. Um, what do I hope for? 
Well, I, I think in relation to what we're talking about, I hope we we can continue attempting for for utopia, um, and I hope that we can listen more and you know be more open hearted and and in that you know keep running towards these kind of utopian ideals, um, and I hope that we never make it there. Dion Edwards' debut feature film, Pretty Red Dress, premieres at the BFI London Film Festival this month and investigates Black masculinity and family structures through the story of Travis, a formerly incarcerated Black man who's hiding the fact that he loves to wear women's clothes. You'll find more information about Dion in the show notes. Busy Being Black is an exploration and expression of queer liveliness. And my guests are those who have learned to live, love, and thrive at the intersection of their identities. Your support of the show means the world. Please leave a rating and a review and share these conversations far and wide. As we continue to work towards futures worthy of us all, my hope is that as many of you as possible understand Busy Being Black as a soft, tender, and intellectually rigorous place for you all to land. Thank you to my friend Lazarus Lynch for creating the ancestral and enlivening Busy Being Black theme music. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.